Miracy. So you need to have physical boundary. You need to have time boundary. You need to have information and confidentiality boundary. And with some of that, I would say things like don't give your clients your home phone number. Hello, you're listening to Just Between Coaches. I'm Melinda Cohen and host this podcast that dives into challenging coaching conversations head on. For those of you that don't know me, I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we've helped more than 50,000 entrepreneurs in creating their own profitable coaching businesses. On this podcast, my guests and I explore difficult issues that coaches might be facing with their clients or challenges that we might be facing with ourselves as professionals and business owners. Today, I'll talk with serial entrepreneur, podcaster, and productivity expert, Steve Robbins. We're going to explore the importance of having professional and personal boundaries in your coaching business. Setting boundaries is one of the most important parts of the coaching relationship, since without agreeable boundaries, most relationships cannot function well at all. At the same time, we all have had our experience with poor boundaries, boundaries that are too loose or too strict. So what can we do about this? The expression, good fences make good neighbors, it's true. As a serial entrepreneur and business coach, Steve Robbins knows what it takes to set boundaries. He has 10 startups, including four IPOs and three acquisitions on his resume. He currently runs Get It Done Groups, which helps people make extreme progress on important projects and habits. He's been a speaker at TEDx and been a repeat commentator on CNN Financial News' Entrepreneurs Only. He's also the author of several books. Welcome, Stever. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I love this topic. But before we go into it, would you mind sharing a little bit of your background with us? Oh, boy. Okay, let's see. So in terms of educational background, I have degrees from MIT and Harvard Business School, computer science and business slash entrepreneurship, respectively. I've spent most of my career, well, I've spent about half of my career being involved operationally in startups in one form or another. I did co-found a company called FTP Software, which was a company that enabled PCs, personal computers, to connect to this weird thing called the internet that no one had ever heard of at that time. So I like to think that I am partially responsible for all of the horrible and all of the wonderful things that the internet has brought us. And as is traditional in the business world, I will disclaim all of the negative things by saying, that couldn't be helped. And I will embrace all of the positive things saying, oh boy, give me credit for that. And that's probably a boundary issue. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to get into that. But you and I have that in common. You know, this year will mark my 18th year with the Coaches Console. And when we first started, it was so interesting to try to share with somebody that they could safely go onto a web page, enter their information, give a credit card to pay for something and not actually get a floppy disk to put in their computer, but use this thing called the World Wide Web to do their business. And it's been an interesting 18 years overcoming that for sure. Well, let's start talking about this topic of boundaries. Now, can you define what boundaries are so our listeners can get a picture of of the conversation we're going to have today? Sure. Well, all that a boundary really is, is a decision as to what things you're going to share with someone, what meanings you're going to ascribe to something, and which ones you won't. 
So a boundary is any decision that divides the world into two parts. In this case, since we're talking about boundaries in a professional and in a coaching sense, a boundary is usually a decision of what you are or are not willing to talk about with someone, or the types of issues you are or aren't willing to address, or the types of work you are or aren't willing to do with someone. So for example, I believe there's a distinction between coaching and therapy. And even if you're a highly trained coach and you are capable of doing certain types of therapeutic interventions, you may choose to erect a boundary and say, anything that falls under the category of therapy, I am not willing to do. Anything that falls under the category of coaching and is not therapy, I am willing to do. And in order to be able to set that boundary, you need to develop for yourself some type of distinction so that you can tell the difference. Because it's one thing to just say, I don't do therapy with people. It's another to actually know what you mean by that statement. And that's the boundary. I love that. And I also add in my own mind to help me get clear on that, my non-negotiables. Like this is an absolute boundary and this is kind of a nice to have, but there's some flexibility. We'll see how far it goes. And so that helps me in my own mind be clear in kind of what those decisions are that I'm going to share or talk about or discuss or allow to have happen or those patterns or behaviors that might exist. Yeah. Also, boundaries can be negotiated. One of the things that I am very personally able to compartmentalize, I don't really have a lot of problem with that. When I put on my coaching hat, it goes into a special part in my brain that does not share any space or information with my day-to-day social brain. You know, good example, I am about to hire an assistant who is also a good friend of mine and has been for several years. And so I sat down and I said, look, there are two different roles that we are now going to have. We're going to have roles as friends and we're going to have roles as a professional relationship. And in our friend role, we are equals who are sharing a connection. And in our professional relationship, I am expecting things from you and you are expecting things from me. And there's a definite power dynamic in both directions, actually. So in our agreement, I actually addressed this. And I said, look, we're both friends and we're going to be working together. Let's draw some boundaries and put some mechanisms in place for negotiating those boundaries. Because let's say you're late with something at work. I don't want that to affect our friendship. I care about our friendship more than I care about our working relationship. However, by the same token, we can't have inappropriate friendship stuff spilling over into work. If you promise to get me something by next Saturday and you have an argument with your significant other and because of that, you don't get it done, but you don't ever approach me in a professional context and tell me you won't get it done. I need to be able to sympathize with you as a friend while at the same time holding you accountable for missed deliverable as your employer. Number one, you have to recognize that there's a boundary issue. And number two, you then have to be confident that you yourself can keep that boundary clear. And then you have to negotiate it with the other person. And you know, I'm sure we'll get to talking about what does it even mean to cross a boundary and what are the consequences and all that good stuff. Yeah, we certainly will. And before we go there, you made an interesting comment about you included that in your agreement. And that's one of the tools that I have used in the past years with my coaching clients. Uh, inside the coaching agreement, I will include expectations. Here's what you can expect of me as your coach, bullet, 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 whatever that is. Here's what I expect of you as my client. And then I give them the opportunity to add or adjust and we clarify those. And so in a way, those expectations become our boundaries. Would you agree with that? Is that those expectations are boundaries? 
those expectations are boundaries. And I would add a second dimension to that. You just described, here's the things that I will bring to the table. It's also useful to have what I call an is not list. So you have a, this is what our relationship is, and this is what our relationship is not. And explicitly say, here are the things that I'm not bringing to the table. So your agreement might say something like, yeah, absolutely. You are under the particular plan you've hired me for. You can call me if you need something in the spur of the moment because you're about to walk into a tricky negotiation and you want to review your negotiation strategy. Absolutely. You have unscheduled access to me. That's the is. But the is not is. However, that unscheduled access is only between the hours of 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. East Coast time, weekdays only. If you want anything outside of that, that's not covered under our agreement. That's the is not. Now, what are healthy boundaries versus non-healthy or bad or poor ones? Can you give us some examples of poor boundaries? Sure. Well, if a boundary divides the world into two parts, poor boundaries are either boundaries that are not clear-cut, so they don't do a good job of dividing the world, or they are put at the wrong place, so it becomes hard to actually do the division. One of the things that I will tell clients, if it sounds like they're about to tell me something that would be problematic, I will actually say things like, you know, if you are going to tell me of something you did that was illegal, do not tell me that. There's dividing the world into two places again. There's the part of the world in which I can act as an advisor, and then there's the part of the world in which I might be called to the witness stand. And I, I don't really want to ever live in the world where I might be called to the witness stand. So I make it clear to people that our coaching relationship only extends to the things they've done that are legal. And I don't want to hear about or know about anything if there was something. I mean, this has never been an issue as far as I know, but that type of thing. I love it. And that's one of the things, you know, we talk about boundaries being so important in coaching. And for some coaches, and I don't think there's a good, bad, right or wrong, better, worse. I think it's your own, for all of our listeners, it's your own preference. There's a lot of coaches that say, I coach on XYZ niche, and that's all we're going to discuss. We don't get outside of that. And then there are other coaches who say, well, I coach on XYZ, and I know there's a lot of other integrated areas of life that are influencing it, so we can go there if need be. And it's really important, I think, as coaches to get clear in that. Like, for example, I do, I work with entrepreneurs and their business, and it's all about their business, systems, operations, technology. But I know you can't separate life from business. So my personal preference is, you know, you're going to have personal issues that are going to be influencing your business. So we can talk about that if you want or need to. Some do, some don't, but they know the door's open, but that's my personal preference. And that's the clarity that I've given to that boundary or that decision. Yeah. And I think that's very important. So one of the basic boundaries you want to have as a coach is the boundary between life coaching and business coaching and professional coaching. And even if you're comfortable with crossing that boundary, I think it's really worth doing some serious introspection to identify where are the edges of your personal competence and expertise. Because if you don't actually have a good toolkit for helping people, let's say helping people develop emotional intelligence, helping them navigate tricky interpersonal relationships, I don't know that you should be crossing that boundary between business and life coaching because you could botch up the life coaching part of that really pretty badly. Some people should stay solely in the business and vice versa. Some people should stay solely in the life coaching area. You know, I'm going to say something that may or may not be considered controversial by some people listening and maybe they'll hate me forever. And if so, I apologize. 
But for example, if you are giving somebody business coaching and they're trying to figure out how to do something and you tell them to just visualize and it will happen, and that's the extent of the business coaching that you offer, I don't think you're qualified to be doing business coaching, frankly. And I think it would be very irresponsible. So if you don't have the life stuff, I would draw a boundary around and just do business coaching. If you don't have the business stuff, I would draw a boundary and just do life coaching. The reality is most people have some overlap, but it's important to identify the overlap and not stray out of your zone of expertise. Well, and I love what you said, the context that you gave. Where are your edges of personal competence and expertise? That's our responsibility as the coach, as the business owner that's representing ourselves and supporting these people in whatever they're trying to work through or accomplish. We have to be true first and foremost to that and not misrepresent ourselves just for the sake of helping a client because it would be the easier thing to do, but we have to know where are those edges and hold to them. Now, we've been talking about, you know, boundaries are important for everyone, and we've even been talking about why they're important in coaching. But can you say more about why are boundaries especially important in the coaching relationship? Well, in the coaching relationship, at least my experience, is that in order for the coaching relationship to work, you have to have a relationship where the other person feels safe enough and trusts you enough to be able to tell you the things they wouldn't tell just a normal business advisor or a normal friend. And what that means is, in order to get trust, you're going to have to develop a level of closeness. And once they trust you, they may tell you things that they wouldn't tell a friend, that they wouldn't tell a spouse, that they wouldn't tell a lawyer or professional advisor. So a coaching relationship is both simultaneously intimate and vulnerable, but it also relies on being able to have objective conversations about the things where somebody is being intimate and vulnerable. And that's a very tricky line to walk sometimes because you get close to someone and you want to help them with something, but it's outside your zone of expertise. Or they bring up something that maybe does make you uncomfortable. Maybe this is somebody who is cheating on their spouse and you're not at all comfortable talking about those things and so on. In a coaching relationship, you're gonna get things that are in that blend. And you need to really know that either you can compartmentalize and really just be a coach and be there for someone without judgment when you're coaching them, or you need to know where your hot buttons are and be able to navigate those in the moment and say, you know what, I'm happy that you feel safe enough with me to discuss that particular issue, but I'm afraid that I'm not comfortable. So let's not go there. One of the things that I do often when I have executive clients, and I've done a lot of work with entrepreneurs and people who are in high growth startups and who who are leading them. A lot of times, one of the first things I'll ask somebody in an early meeting is I'll say, why did you start this company? Why do you like to be a CEO? Are you doing it? You have a grand vision that you want to see made real? Are you on a mission to solve a particular problem in the world? Do you just like power? You want to have things your way? Are you just there for the money? What's really driving you? Now, you'll notice the first two of those options that I gave somebody, do they have a mission in the world or a grand problem that they want to solve, right? Those are quote unquote positive motivations. But then I went into maybe you're just a power mad psycho who wants everyone to do what you want to do. Maybe you just want to get rich. But I delivered those in exactly the same tone of voice that I delivered the safe, good, positive ones. Now, the reason that I 
do that is I'm establishing it's safe to talk to me about these things that you normally wouldn't talk to people about. So the boundary that I'm drawing is a boundary that's inclusive of a bunch of topics that other people wouldn't be comfortable talking about. So that enables me in subsequent conversations to get straight down to things that normally might take somebody ages to draw out of somebody because I've already in essence drawn them out at the very beginning. That's kind of a pro tip. And you have to be comfortable being able to navigate those. So Steve, what are some other professional boundaries we need to have in our business with our clients? A really important one is the boundary between a coaching relationship and a friendship relationship. If you're coaching somebody who's a friend, you need to have that boundary from the start. But if you get to know your clients, and many coaches do end up having friendship relationships with some number of their clients, you need to be able to navigate either putting that boundary in place when the friendship starts to develop, or when the coaching relationship is over, transitioning from the coaching relationship into the friendship relationship. So coaching relationship versus friendship relationship, important boundary. Another important boundary is the business relationship. And this is not related to the coaching process. This is related to the actual business relationship. When you get to be a coach with someone and you're with them through their trials and their tribulations, there may come a time when they're having money problems and they don't want to pay because they can't afford to or they perceive that they can't afford to. At that moment, my recommendation would be set a boundary that is a professional boundary and say, our professional relationship stops when you stop paying me as a professional. That's what it means to have a professional relationship. Now, we can still be friends, in which case I'm going to take off my coaching hat and put on my friend hat, but the professional delivery of valuable coaching services ends as soon as you stop paying me. A lot of coaches, especially once they have a close relationship with someone, they really want to continue to be there for that person. That's why people become coaches. They like to be of service. They like to be of value for people. And if your goal is to build a credible, sustainable business that's really going to keep you moving in your life, you can't do that. You need the professional relationship to remain professional. And if you're not being paid, you need to be able to find a way to put that on suspension. Now, another professional boundary that I have learned in all my years, because I do a lot of group work, online courses, where I'm working with hundreds of people at once, and I have a boundary for customer service. And I was taught this when I was working kind of customer support for another organization many years ago. And the person that was training me in that taught me when somebody asks a question and is looking for information, often it's best not to answer them with the actual answer. And I remember how that confused me at first, but what she told me was that whole don't give them a fish, but teach them to fish rather than just telling them the answer or telling them what that thing is that they're looking for. Because a lot of people will try to go for a shortcut, get quick information, but not actually learn or really go for the transformation. And I've seen that in, in our customer support to make sure we're setting the boundary that we're not where they're getting their information, but they're going to the course content or the resources or the materials that they've been given to get that information so that they are empowered to move forward with what they have and the resources that they have. Now, in addition to the professional boundaries, what kind of personal boundaries are important to be mindful of? Oh boy. Well, um, there's all kinds of personal boundaries to be mindful of. Now, are you referring to personal between your personal life and your coaching life or just purely within your personal life? 
as it relates to your coaching business and your clients, the work you're doing with your clients? Sure. One of the obvious ones should be confidentiality. You don't talk about what you're doing with your clients with anyone in your personal life without your client's express permission. And even then, I would tell them exactly what I was planning on telling to someone else and have them okay it. I believe it's really important to have a firm boundary between work time and family time. If you're spending the time that you're working, worrying about not spending enough time with your family, and if you're spending the time that you're with your family, worrying that work isn't getting done, you are neither experiencing your family nor your work life as fully as you need to. So number one is decide when you're coming home from work and come home from work. Number two, this is harder during COVID, but if possible, have a separate, a physically separate work location from your home or from home location. My apartment is too small. I literally have my entire work set up in a room that is also our guest bedroom. And I don't like that. My brain never switches from work mode to home mode easily because this is also the room where I work out. So the boundaries are all blurred for me. It's not good. It works much better. You know, when the day is done, the day is done. So part of what I've done to create an artificial boundary for myself is at the end of my workday, I change clothes. I either change into my workout clothes and work out, or I change into a pair of sweatpants. And that is how I signal to my brain, it's the end of the day. I also turn my computer off. So you need to have physical boundary. You need to have time boundary. You need to have information and confidentiality boundary. And with some of that, I would say things like don't give your clients your home phone number. Do you think it's easier for people to overstep boundaries in a group coaching kind of setting? Or what would you say about those for the folks that are listening to those that are working within those group situations? Uh, I do think it's easy. You need to squash that, nip it in the bud. You can also, you can name this. You can bring it up explicitly. If you see boundary crossings happening in the group, if you have ground rules for the group and the boundary crossing is a violation of the ground rule, you can just say, we all agreed, no personal attacks, only you know attacks on a bad idea or only critiques of an idea. We never state our critiques in terms of personal qualities. Please rephrase the comment that you just made. That's if you have an existing ground rule, you evoke the ground rule, remind people of the ground rule. And part of what you're doing, you're not just aiming that ground rule at the person who transgressed, you are modeling for the entire group how to non-judgmentally bring a ground rule into play so that hopefully people will start imitating you if somebody else transgresses against a ground rule. And they can say, well, one of the ground rules in this group is that we don't talk for more than two minutes, so everyone has a chance. Your two minutes are up. You know, Thank you for understanding. Let's move to the next person. So people start to understand that that's the approved behavior. But if you don't have a ground rule that covers it, call a timeout and make one. Wow, I noticed that person A just said this thing to person B that was an ad hominem attack. Do we as a group want to allow that type of conversation? Not the current moment of it, but is that something we want to make a ground rule and say that is absolutely grounds for just immediately being shut down? Or do we want to say that's okay because we spar with each other? And I have been in groups where that was fine. I've been in groups where people actually explicitly said they wanted more conflict, which I don't. I'm a very conflict avoidant person. But you know, if that's how they want to do stuff, do it that way. The key for you as a coach, and this is, I would say, for any type of facilitation, is for you to notice what's going on and then bring it to the group's attention and let the group decide how they want to, how they want to deal with it. Now, Steve, when it comes to your business, do you ever have problems setting boundaries? 
do I ever have problems setting boundaries? Goodness gracious. Um, probably. I don't have problems with any of the psychological boundary stuff with my clients. All of my relational boundaries are very clean and very well-defined. Um, but you know, I would say that on the pure business side of things, so this is not in the coaching relationship, but this is in running the business. There are probably places where I could really stand to clean up my boundaries. So for example, there are certain types of clients that are going to be a good fit for your skills. They're going to be able to pay what you need to pay for your business to be viable. They are going to be the kind of person that you want to work with. If you accept a client who doesn't fit in to that constellation, you may make money, but you may not make enough. Or you may make enough money, but you might not enjoy the experience. I have historically had my desire to help people in general overwhelm my desire to keep a firm boundary around the types of clients I work with. And as a result, I've taken on contracts with people who weren't really in my sweet spot. And you know, sometimes they've worked, sometimes they really haven't. And one of the places that I could sure stand to shore up my own boundaries professionally is to become very aware of which things do I do, which ones do I not, which kinds of people do I like working with, which ones do I not. So I need to learn to say no to things. First, to consider, do I want to widen my offerings to include this? And if not, to say no to them. And if I am going to make an exception to that no, I want to really understand, number one, why I'm making that is an exception. And two, I want to make sure to remember that it's an exception and that I don't start suddenly thinking, oh, yeah, I should just tell people I can teach a negotiating class. If that's not what I want to be doing, I shouldn't be telling people that. So we have covered a lot about this topic of boundaries, and I just want to summarize some of those things that we've talked about today. I love how you just very simply stated the definition of a boundary really being a decision as to what you're going to share or maybe not share with somebody, whether it's a topic or an issue or maybe patterns or behaviors, and how that the expectations that we set in advance with our clients can become boundaries. And one of my favorite takeaways on today's conversation is when we're setting those expectations with our clients to also include the is not list. I loved that. I'm going to be adding it into my own practice. That's one of my takeaways. And then you also talked about how boundaries can be negotiable, but verbally saying and having that distinction of, I'm going to put on my coaching hat so that we can have those upfront conversations and have that clarity because boundaries are important to create that trust and safety so that our clients can be vulnerable and go into the topics that need to be looked at and we can do so in a non-judgmental way. And then you shared some basic boundaries for us between life coaching versus business coaching. Where are the edges of our personal competence? The coaching relationship versus the friend relationship, the business relationship in that professional relationship. And what does that look like over time? And then some personal boundaries, making sure that we're protecting ourselves and our space so that we can show up and be the best, whether it's with physical or time or information boundaries. And then in the groups, I love how you shared when you see boundaries getting blurred in groups, like nip it in the bud fast. Just interrupt and stay true to what the ground rules are and bring it up explicitly. Uh, redirect the group so that you can stay focused on the tasks at hand. Stever, do you have any parting words? Boy, you know, I think that we've covered so much. I would just say, 
do a little boundary audit for yourself and ask yourself, is there any place where you find personal considerations blurring over into business, business considerations blurring over into personal within the business context? So give some real thought as to where are boundaries being blurred? Where are they really good? What is it that enables you to keep them really crystal clear? And probably what enables you to keep them crystal clear is that you've taken the time to identify what they are and what the trigger is for knowing that the boundary is being overstepped, right? Like confidentiality. Gee, if you say something that someone told you in confidence, you just overstepped a confidentiality boundary. Pretty easy to see. And then just shore up your boundaries because the tighter they are, the more professional you'll come across and the more you will be able to be an absolute expert inside your zone of expertise. I love it. A boundary audit. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you to Steva Robbins for this fascinating conversation. You can find out more about Steva at stevarobbins.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-R-R-O-B-B-I-N-S.com. Steve, thanks for coming to the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Mirror CFM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Course Lab, where you can learn about course design, and the business storytelling show, Once Upon a Business. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. I wrote this episode with Nishi Lance. She assembled the episode. Danny Eni is our executive producer. Post-production was by Post Office Sound. If you want to listen to future episodes, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you liked the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. If you have a question for Just Between Coaches, put the show title in the subject line and send it to podcasts at miracy.com. That's podcasts, plural, at miracy, M-I-R-A-S-E-E dot com. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. 
Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud, we can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.